What is true fellowship? I thought this would be a great day to start something like that. And so this morning, I'm going to ask that you take your Bibles and we're going to focus our attention this morning on one particular verse, one particular passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And I believe that through the course of these next few weeks as we go through this series on true fellowship, that that there will be some insights that will be very important for us as a body of believers and certainly as a congregation as to what God expects of us, what it means to us to be in a body of believers, excuse me, and how the friendships that we have are supposed to develop in such a way that can give glory to God. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the Scripture says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Father God, over these next few moments, I pray that through Your Holy Spirit, since You have planted this upon my heart, in a time of preparation and prayer, that You would now add to it the anointing of Your Holy Spirit so that what You desire to be communicated will be done. And I pray, Lord God, that you would open the eyes of our heart, that we can see the Word as it truly is, and that you can begin to place into us the qualities and the nature of Christ that you desire of us, so that we can be a New Testament church in completion because of you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I was watching a commercial on TV this week that it was a dog food commercial or something, but there was a statement on there that I thought was rather interesting. And it said that, according to Mark Twain, he once said, The more I know about people, the more I like my dog. Any of you have ever heard that statement before? The more I know about people, the more I like my dog. And I begin to think that obviously is a statement from an individual who didn't have fellowship with the right kind of people. Because honestly, the more you find the people of God, the more you should desire fellowship with the people of God. Because there's a quality about that that adds to each other's life. And I want you to understand in the context of Acts chapter 2, where this verse comes from, there's some interesting things happening that really set the stage for what is intended when we talk about fellowship. The context of this chapter indicates, number one, at the beginning of it, there is the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit, where the evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit was that people began to speak in tongues as the Holy Spirit gave utterance. This was the place where it started, and you can begin to read about that. Following that event, Peter, being full of the Holy Spirit, then stands up and begins to preach to those that were observing all of this, and he begins to give explanation of the fulfillment of the prophecy that proclaimed that the Holy Spirit would be outpoured. And then he begins to follow that up with a message, and he begins to proclaim Jesus Christ. He informs the people there that the Holy Spirit is for all believers and leads them to make a decision as it relates to Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that out of that crowd, about 3,000 people became followers of Christ in that day alone. And it's in the context of the coming of the Holy Spirit and massive initial church growth that we find this verse that speaks to this young and growing New Testament church as to how they should behave and how they should relate to one another and how it will be important for them to uh, instill certain qualities if they desire to grow and to start a relationship with the Lord in a positive way. The Scripture that we read says they devoted themselves 
Now, I looked at that word devoted, and I've used that word in different wedding ceremonies and talked about this at different times, but it comes from the Greek word proskiter auntus, which means continued steadfastly. In fact, I think in the King James Version, the words that are used are continued steadfastly. It also means persevered. It means endure, stick, persist. A person that does not back off, fade away, or slip back. You get the impression from this word that somebody who is devoted is one that is going to always be there, sticking through thick and thin. In fact, I'm going to use a term that some of you old-time Pentecostals may have heard. Some of you newer people may not have heard this because it was a word we used to use a lot. But the Scripture kind of indicates that if you will be persistent and devote yourself to these things that we're listening to this, that you won't, here's the term, backslide. Any of you ever heard that term? There's a few of you that have, and some of you have never heard that word before. It will keep you from backsliding if you will devote yourself to this. And we see in this verse that there is a pattern of behavior and activity that is added in here. It says, what's the pattern? Number one, the apostles' teaching. If we were to apply that today, that this would be what we are doing. We are coming to church. We are coming to a place where you know that you're going to be fed spiritually, where the Word of God is going to be preached, and you can apply this to your life. And then we see in there, it says that they devoted themselves to fellowship. We'll get into that a little bit more as we move on. The third was the breaking of bread. Or in other words, what we just did a little while ago in communion. Do you know that it's important that we have regular communion together? Because it keeps our focus on Jesus and not on us. And I want you to know it gets really, really easy in our life to come to church and think about us. We come in and think about our problems. We think about our ordeals. We think about our ailments. We think about the people that we like and we think about the people that we're not going to sit next to. And the Lord intends for us to come into the church and think about Him. And that communion service allows us to do that. And it says that they committed themselves to prayer. Now, as I was reading this verse this week, I began to think about this. Because honestly, the verse and the things that are mentioned in it are really interesting. In fact, for those of you that are parents of preschoolers and watch Sesame Street, I remembered a song way back, and I'm getting reaccustomed to this because my grandson is hitting his age. But there was this little ditty in there that said, one of these things just doesn't belong here. Do any of you remember that? Oh, I'm so glad I'm not the only one. I thought I was taking a real leap of faith there. And it helps children begin to identify patterns of things that belong together and things that didn't. If you begin to look at this verse honestly from the perspective of church-going people, we see that verse and we say, well, they were devoted to, number one, the apostles' teaching or going to church. They were the breaking of bread and communion of prayer. You would think of those as in a traditional service. As being important. And then there is this word fellowship that is thrown in there. And it honestly, it seems less holy than the rest of them, doesn't it? We have this attitude when we come to church that, yes, we come in to hear the word. Yes, we come in to have communion. And oh, we pray, Lord. I pray in my best vibrato voice, oh, God. And there's this, this attitude of piety and somberness and holiness. And we picture these things. And then there's this word fellowship. But honestly, when we see it, fun comes into my mind. This is the fun word of church. Fellowship. 
generally means we're eating something. And I believe that as we get into this, when we fully understand everything that God plans for us and the depth of fellowship that He intends for His church, I believe we'll see that this fellowship needs to be one of the four pillars that the New Testament church was built upon and that our church needs to be built upon in order for us to continue to grow as believers and also grow in numbers as we grow in Christ. And the way that we have applied the word fellowship most of the time in the attitude of social activity in churches today almost completely empties the word of its New Testament meaning. The Greek word for fellowship that's found in this verse is the word koinonia. Some of you have heard that word before. And koinonia is translated in several different ways in the New Testament and its forms, one of them being participation, another partnership, another sharing, and then, of course, the word fellowship. And the various uses of koinonia conveys two related meanings. The first is to share together. And in that sense of joint participation or joint partnership, the second meaning is in this verse is a sense of giving what we have to others or to share with. And so we have the meaning of sharing together and to share with. And these two meanings can be broken down. And if you have your bulletins, we've outlined four little things that I want to speak of this morning as it relates to koinonia. The first two being the breakdown of sharing together. The last two being the breakdown of sharing with. In relationship and partnership, and then communion and material possessions. Let's look at relationship first. When we come into relationship with Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that something happens in us and to us and through us that makes us a brand new creature. In other words, it's as if you are born into a new family. Some of you have experienced that. I've, I've heard you discuss about the way you enjoy coming to church because this family means more to you in some aspects than your earthly family because they get you. They know what's going on. You can't talk about spiritual things to earthly family that don't have Christ within them and those things become so important to you that you recognize the value of the earthly or the heavenly family even while we are on this earth. And as a result of that, we begin to long for those relationships. In fact, I was thinking, when a new baby is born to a mother and father... I have yet to see that baby when it's wrapped in that first blanket and given to the father or given to the mother for, to have the parents look at that child, which is brand new to them. They never knew this person before, never laid eyes on this person, and have them say, you know what, I don't know you well, and you're going to have to work your way into our family. You look like you've been beat up. I don't know if I can trust you. And sometimes you stink. No. There's great celebration at that baby's birth. Knowing the process that's going to take place for that baby to go from birth to adulthood, but everybody embracing that, and that baby instantly becomes part of the family. Relationship at birth. Nothing to be earned to get into the family. The relationship that is to exist among believers in Jesus Christ is to be far deeper than any social association or civic clubs or community groups that you may be a part of. There's a huge difference between community participation and spiritual participation. The distinctiveness is this. The Holy Spirit is within the Christian believer. 
the Holy Spirit creates a spiritual union by melting and molding the heart of the Christian believer to the hearts of other believers. He attaches the life of one believer to the lives of other believers. In other words, as you look around this church this morning, you see people that you need to walk through life with. God attaches us. We need one another. You can't do this on your own. There's built into the DNA of humanity the need to be able to communicate and be in relationships that are meaningful, much more meaningful than just sharing a cup of coffee. But having lives built together through what the Holy Spirit does as He begins to bring us. Within the context of this passage is the idea that fellowship, listen to me very closely, fellowship in the New Testament word as it is given to us, forbids the unattached Christian life. Think about that for a moment. It forbids the unattached Christian life. In other words, if you were a loner, you're in deep trouble. If you won't let anybody into your life or you won't allow your life to be joined with others, you're going to have a difficult time because that is not the plan of God. His plan is that we would be joined together, family together, in deep relationship with one another. Jerry Bridges put it this way, Christianity first becomes an individual matter at your decision, but after following Christ in salvation, it becomes a social matter. The Christian is attached to Christ individually, but also attached to other believers. Christianity is first a spiritual organism, and then it becomes a spiritual organization. The Christian has an inward life, but we also live an outward form of that life by worshiping together. Christianity demands that a believer personally live out such virtues as kindness, patience, and love. But those virtues are meaningless if you're isolated, because in order for them to be seen, they have to be seen by another who is experiencing those from you. Christianity means that the Spirit of God has entered the believer's life. But it also means that the Spirit of God indwells the corporate body of believers as well. William Hendrickson said this, Koinonia then is basically a community relationship. It's not an activity. It is a relationship. Fellowship is not an activity. It's not something we do. It's something we live as we live out Christ. If we miss the fact that koinonia denotes, first of all, community relationship in Christ among all believers, then we miss the most significant aspect of what true biblical fellowship is. We must grasp the idea that fellowship means belonging to one another in the body of Christ, along with all of the privileges and responsibility that such a relationship entails. We belong to God, and as a result of that, we belong to each other. Secondly is partnership. Koinonia also means sharing together in a sense of partnership. And in fact, it's rather interesting when the word koinonia or the root word from that is used in a way of partnership because both the classical Greek writers of the New Testament, as they use this word, they refer to it almost in the sense of business partnership. In fact, in Luke chapter 5, 10, and you don't have to turn to it, I'm just going to refer to it. 
The word koinonia is used to refer to the partnership, the fishing business that Peter and James and John had together. It was that word, that sense of partnership and community together that was used there. And as we apply this spiritual principle of koinonia within this realm, Paul regarded himself with his dear friend Philemon as a partner in the gospel and with the Philippian believers as a partnership in the gospel. I want you to know that what we did last week took partnership. What we did last week as we began, all of us to individually sense what God was stirring in our heart, that we could make a difference in the lives of the starving of our world, took a partnership. It was a business partnership under the moving of the Holy Spirit that brought us together in unity. And we celebrate what took place. There is that desire and that notation of what it means as it relates to us. We are partners together in this work of the Lord. It's embedded in the New Testament. Whereas relationship describes the community of believers in relationship, partnership describes it as an enterprise. And I want you to think for a moment of your local church as an enterprise. We have a business plan under the direction of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to know that even being led by the Spirit, sometimes that gives people the, the, the idea that it's just, woo, no guidelines and this and that. I want you to know that's not the way our God works. We can move in the Spirit and still be within the divine plan, the business plan of the Lord of reaching our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how do we apply this meaning to the local setting of our church this morning? First and foremost, I want you to know this. You need to glorify the Lord in your life, not just on Sunday mornings, but you need to glorify the Lord in every day of your life, wherever you are. You say, well, Pastor, why is that so important? Because do you know that what you do in public affects the perception of what people believe this entire church to be? You say, ah, oh, that's taking it a bit too far, don't you think? Really? Think how quick we make judgments about organizations based on the people we know of that organization. There is a sense that the Lord is saying there is individual responsibility that needs to be placed on us that we would all live up to the end of our bargain of the partnership with Jesus Christ in the work of the Lord. People will make determinations about Jesus Christ based on those who represent Him. And we have seen... Through the years, when there are people that have big names in ministry, and when they fall, what we hear in the community is, well, if they can't live it, then there's no way I could live it, so I'm not even going to try. Or, you know, they thought they were this and that, and it turns out to be so hypocritical, and so people begin to make judgments on the institution based on what they see. Knowing that they do that, it is important for us to live up to who we say we are with the help of the Lord, because their perception will be what we give it. Each partner in this koinonia relationship carries the responsibility to the whole corporation to act in a way that benefits the partnership. Next, we need to know that in partnership we must glorify God and that when we do that, we grow in Christ-likeness. You have the ability to help somebody else grow in the Lord. Your encouraging words in a moment when they need it the most strengthens them. In this partnership, it is required of us to care for one another, to look out for each other, to be there for one another. Because even when you think that you are giftless, the Spirit of the Lord can use you. And by the way, that's a lie. None of you are giftless. The Spirit can work in you and through you. 
God is glorified when unbelievers are brought into His kingdom as part of the partnership and the business aspect of God. Biblical fellowship then incorporates the idea of an active partnership in the promotion of the gospel and the building up of the believers and a responsibility to the partnership to act and live in a way that benefits it. The second primary meaning of the New Testament koinonia is to share with others what we have. Just as sharing together has two sub-meanings in relationship and partnership, so has sharing with two sub-meanings. And these meanings, the first one is communion with others. Although we usually use the term communion as it relates to the Lord's Supper, it's used here in relationship with individuals. It means that we have the ability to communicate intimately or share with one another on a close and spiritual level. I want you to know something. This actively engages our heart, mind, thoughts, and emotions. Have any of you ever had a conversation with somebody who was standing there but was not there? You're talking to them, their eyes are over your shoulder, they're looking around, or they get into the... They can nod their head without hearing a word you say. I'm not specifically talking about husbands and wives. I'm talking about communication that you are there in body, but your mind is thinking a million things. Some of you are already thinking Super Bowl party. I can see it in your eyes. Some of you are nodding your head going, I see his lips moving. Don't hear a word he's saying today. This is the opposite of that. Communion with others means that we must engage our heart and our mind and our thoughts and our emotions in what's going on. It may be sharing with one another what you have learned from Scripture. These conversations are important. I've referred to my dad on many occasions, and one of the things that he would do because I was a preacher's kid, and after church he would ask each of us at the dinner table, he would ask one of my sisters what the main theme of the message was. Then he would ask, you know, another one, well, what was one of my illustrations? And then he would ask one of us, what was the text? And he would, you know, ask us, begin to quiz us to make sure that we were listening. But I want you to know that in that quiz, there was an aspect of knowing that we had better listen to what dad was saying. Some of you can begin to ask your kids in the morning, hey, what is it that you read in your devotions that God's saying to you? You know what? Knowing you're going to ask that will probably make them read a verse. There's also that relationship with each other as we begin to talk to each other about what we are learning. The interesting thing is that those who are just coming into Christ, we, we call them babies in Christ, not because they are babies, but because of a chronological age that we associate that. But there is so much excitement in the babies in Christ. And when they come to you and begin to share with you, I want to, I learned John 3.16, and you're going, that's great. Be excited with them as they are expressing to you what they are learning in Christ because we build one another up. We're sharing with each other and a koinonia level when we begin to take interest in each other that way. It may be a word of encouragement from one believer to another. It may be the sharing of your testimony to what God has done in your life that will build faith that God can do it in their life. Seeing Lori Meisner sitting here this morning builds my faith. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We have prayed for Lori. And on more than one occasion, her faith has been frustrated by doctors that say, I'm going to tell you, this looks like cancer. And on more than one occasion, when they're done with their test, they come back and say, we don't know how to explain this. But it's not. That 
testimony builds the faith in others who are going through difficult times to know that if God can do it for her, the same power can be at work in you. We build one another up in the faith as we share what God is doing in each of our lives. We begin to share with one another what God is teaching us and revealing to us about His Word. And through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, this is what it means to have fellowship. Where conversations center around the things of God and what He's doing in your life. And you share that with one another. This is the true meaning of fellowship when we begin to talk about that. So how different is our present day concept of fellowship than from what it seems to be that the Bible is talking about? You take our typical coffee fellowships where we talk about everything except God in our lives. We get together and we talk about our jobs. We talk about our studies. We talk about our sports teams. We talk about the lack of snow and how thankful we are for that this winter. We talk about our families. We talk about our grandkids. And there's nothing wrong with talking about your grandkids, by the way. But that is not what God means when He says we enter into koinonia fellowship with each other. Communion with one another, talking about the things of the Lord, is what He means. There is a value that you add to each other's lives and their spiritual development that cannot be replicated in any other way except through conversations about where you are spiritually with each other. And these conversations take place at a koinonia level, a fellowship level, a spiritual level. And lastly, as we examine the account of these early believers and what they learned of fellowship, is the aspect of sharing material possessions. In Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45, it says, All the believers were together. They had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods, and they gave to anyone that had need. As I was reading about this, instantly my son and his best friend came running to my mind. One of the things that Cindy and I really miss about this particular stage of our life is now that our kids are grown up and married and out of the house, we miss their friends. I miss their friends coming to my house. My, my son's best friend, now my son, you know, he's about 5'6", his best friend was about 6'3". My son wrestled in high school, and the highest weight he ever attained was 125. His friend was probably 100 pounds more than that. They really looked interesting together. They were best men in each other's weddings. Completely different sized tuxes. But what I miss is a knock on my door, even when my son wasn't there, and having this voice boom out in my house. Hey, Mr. and Mrs. D, it's Eric. I'm just coming in. And knowing that his first steps would be to our refrigerator. And there was this commonality that he knew whatever we had eaten for the past several days was his. And he would take it out. He knew where our plates and cups were. He'd put it on there, throw it in the microwave. We'd hit a ding, ding, ding. And no, no need to go downstairs. Eric's just eating everything. <laughs> the thing is, I know Keith did the exact same thing at his house. There was this freedom of family, even though his last name was different. There was this sharing with one another that they knew because of relationship they could do. Now, some of you have friends that are like that. They can come to your house and they'll stop at your refrigerator before they shake your hand. But there's this commonality about things. And, and we almost get that sense from the believers that they could go to each other's house. And, and because of the koinonia relationship that had been developed, there were things in common. They probably didn't even ask to borrow tools. They just did. 
And they begin to help one another out in these things. There's a comfortableness that develops when you know you've been accepted as family. And if there's one thing that we try to do within our church, it's if you're visiting with us, we want to make you family fast. We want you to feel comfortable here. That's why we try to find you and greet you. And I have to warn you, for those of you that are new, everybody that here that knows me knows this, I can't remember names. I'm so sorry. I had a lady, I said to her recently, I said, what's your name? She goes, I've been going here for three months. I said, that's not my question. (laughs) So please forgive me. That's why God lets us call our wives honey. (laughs) There was this aspect last week for those of you that were here. And by the way, last week, our drama team was fantastic. Fantastic. But there was this one part that I I laughed at because it's so true. For those of you who remember, Pastor Mark was reaching into his wallet. Was that real money, by the way? It was. Did you ever get it back? (laughs) He reached into his wallet to give his pretend daughter a hundred bucks or two hundred bucks. So that she could go shopping. And as I I thought about that, I said, that is more realistic than what people want to give credence to. And when a parent meets the need of one of their children, she didn't have any problem asking for money. In fact, I remember her grandmother saying, well, I can give her money. And, you know, mom's saying, oh, no, no, you can't do that. Grandma can't give you money. And you'd be so uncomfortable asking her. And the daughter going, no, I wouldn't. (laughs) No, not really. Because of family relationship. When parents give their children money, it's not an act of benevolence. It's an expression of relationship. Because of the family relationship that takes place, it's both a privilege and a duty to share with each other as fellow members of the same body. It's the tangible recognition that we are a community in relationship with one another because we are in relationship with Christ. That if one of our members suffer, we all suffer to an extent. When one of our members rejoice, we all rejoice to the extent that we can in fact. And so we see in our text, they devoted themselves to fellowship. It was important to them. They persevered. They pressed in. doesn't talk about shy people or outgoing people. It talks about all people. Pressing in and devoting themselves to the relationship with one another. And we see the expressions of that in four different but related dimensions. Community relationship, partnership, communion, and sharing material possessions. So how then, based on the Scriptures, should we then live today? What is keeping you from entering into full fellowship with believers? Some of you are fearful that if people really knew you, they wouldn't like you. Some of you think, you know what, everybody else is normal and I'm not. And I'm afraid that as I begin to reveal myself and some of the things that are behind the closed wall that I've built up, that people will run. And I would rather live at the level of surface friendship that I have than reveal myself too fully and be isolated. And we struggle with those issues. Some of you are fearful that if you let people into your heart, they're going to break your heart. You try to only let people see the things that you think would attract them to you 
rather than understanding that in the biblical concept of a New Testament church moving under the Holy Spirit, that we love and accept each other because we are all failures redeemed by the grace of God. It's as if you don't want anybody to know that you have sinned or that you have fallen into sin. And so we pretend that we never did. We pretend that everything is great and that our hearts don't hurt. We pretend that we are not living in pain. And we pretend to praise when there's nothing inside of us that wells up within us. We just raise our hand because we know how to paint the picture. But we're lacking something on the inside. You're not sleeping well. And oh, are you touchy. But I want you to know something. When you come to God, He does more than just forgives our mistakes. He removes them. He removes them. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And as they do, I want you to know something. You simply have to take God at His word. Listen to me now. Don't don't let your attention wander. God wants the mistakes that you have made in the past... But He also wants the mistakes that you're making right now. God is not a God that just takes care of those things. He wants to take care of your struggles right now. Are you angry too much with your spouse and kids? Is your home not a place of peace? You find that you struggle in the areas of cheating on things? Are you you struggling with sexual purity? Are the things that you have outlined that you know that the Lord is leading you away from that you keep going back to again and again? Are you letting Satan set your level of self-esteem? Are you mismanaging your money? Are you having trouble forgiving someone who hurt you? Have you had someone that you needed to go and ask forgiveness to, but because of your pride, you thought maybe time will just take care of this? If so, then don't pretend nothing is wrong. Don't pretend you don't fall. Don't pretend you're perfect. Don't pretend that you're better than the rest of us, because if you are, then you're not going to be comfortable in this church, because we who are here are genuine, and we need Jesus daily. I need Jesus. I need His forgiveness. I need His strength. I need His passion. I need His power. I need His encouragement. Because together here in Koinonia, in fellowship, we will be a body of believers that will work out our salvation together. It's family. It's family. The Bible tells us in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to God, He can always be trusted to forgive us. And to take our sins away. Do you know how comforting that is? You'll also notice that it doesn't say after you become a Christian that you don't have to confess your sins any longer. It talks about a continuing relationship. We continue to confess our sins and He's faithful to us. I'm going to bust Satan's greatest weapon with this statement, but listen. God is not angry with you. I've had people say to me, Pastor, if you knew what I was like and if you knew what I had done, you'd know why God is angry with me. God is not angry with you. That's Satan lying to you. God loves you. What more can He do to prove it to you? 
how much He loves you and longs to be in relationship with you. He opens His arms of mercy and grace to you today and invites you into relationship with Him. And then after that, opens the door of relationship with the church so that we can be there for one another. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We want relationship. We're built for relationship. And the first relationship that we're made for is relationship with Jesus Christ. And you may have attended church for years and years, but I'm going to ask you this question. Have you ever with your own lips invited Jesus Christ to come into your life to forgive you of your sins and to become your Savior? If not, then there's a decision that you need to make today. You long for relationship, but it's got to start with your relationship and being right in the eyes of God. And so I'm going to start over on the far left, my far right. And if today is your day of salvation, I'm going to simply ask that you would just lift your eyes and look at me. And I will agree with you. I will not embarrass you. But is today the day that Jesus is calling you for relationship with Him? Moving now to the center left section. Is there anyone here today saying, yes, ma'am, I agree with you. Say, today is my day. I'm ready for a Savior today. Hallelujah. Moving out of the center right. Back into the overflow. Yes, sir, I agree with you. Are you ready for relationship? Hallelujah. Moving over to the far right, my far left. Yes, sir, I agree with you. Yes, sir, I agree with you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask that you would open your eyes and that you would stand with me. In just a moment, I'm going to lead us in a prayer together. And after we have that prayer, I'm going to ask our deacons and their wives and our prayer team ministry, if they would please come to the front at the end of that prayer and be prepared to minister to people. Our worship team will be leading us in song. But the most important decisions that we make are those that we make with Jesus. And then everything grows out of that relationship. And so you may have said this a thousand times, but I'm going to ask you to repeat with me a prayer of inviting Jesus into your life. And so for those of you that may have said, you know, I didn't know, Pastor, what you were going to do, so I didn't look up at you, but I really want a relationship with Christ. I'm going to invite you to join with us because if you say this prayer with conviction in your heart, then the Lord will respond to this and will enter into relationship with you and you will become a brand new Christian born into the family. You don't have to earn your way in. You'll be in because of what Jesus Christ has done. Repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I don't know why you love me, but I'm glad you do. I ask you, Lord Jesus, to forgive me of everything I've done wrong. You know my thoughts and deeds. They betray what I'm really like. So I ask that you would forgive me. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you forgive me. And I believe that you accept me as family. Write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. 
strengthen me to walk with you. And call me your son and daughter. I thank you for this salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.